Welcome to Conservative One, the podcast defending traditions and freedoms with George Christensen. Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. Socialists don't like ordinary people choosing, for they might not choose socialism. We cannot afford to be so politically correct anymore conservative one welcome to another edition of conservative one the podcast defending traditions and freedoms i'm george christensen your host and australian member of parliament and today we're going to be talking about uh, the wuhan coronavirus and the chinese communist party i'm joined by a very special guest from the United States, uh, joined by award-winning journalist for the Epoch Times, Joshua Phillip. Uh, Joshua Phillip has done a, a great documentary that's gone viral on uh, social media and YouTube and the internet in general. It's the first documentary that was released about the origin of the Wuhan coronavirus, commonly called COVID-19, also known as the Chinese Communist Party virus in certain circles. Uh, Joshua has explored the known facts around this virus and the global pandemic that it's caused. He's looked at the scientific data in that documentary. He interviews some top scientists and national security experts, including someone I had on my show recently, Brigadier General Robert Spaulding. And uh, the Epoch Times says that while this mystery surrounding the virus's origin remains, much can actually be learnt about the Chinese Communist Party's cover-up that actually led to this pandemic and the threat it poses to the world. If you haven't watched this documentary yet, my advice is get on there and watch it. Uh, uh, Make sure you do before the censors try and take it off the internet. We're going to talk about that in a little moment, but it's great to welcome from New York, Joshua Phillip. How are you, Joshua? Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Now, I've uh, got a, a bit of your bio, uh, how you are uh, certainly an award-winning journalist and investigative reporter, in fact, the senior investigative reporter with the Epoch Times, your host of the China Report, uh, a recognized expert on unrestricted warfare, asymmetrical hybrid warfare, subversion, and historical perspectives on today's issues, particularly relating to China. You've done over 10 years work of research and investigation into the Chinese Communist Party and related topics. Uh, You are someone that we desperately need in the media space, given that, unfortunately, from what I see, so many of the mainstream media reporters are uh, a term that probably you use over there, we use here, they're suckholes for the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, tell us a bit about your background first uh, as, as a reporter and why the interest, uh, the intense interest in China and the Chinese Communist Party. So I've been with Epoch Times since 2006. So I've been there about 14 years now. And I've been investigating the Chinese Communist Party's, say, overseas operations. 
since about 2008. And actually, that was an accident. It wasn't even intentional that I got involved with that, that whole you know, line of investigation. Uh, long story short, I was, you know, I had a summer internship with Epoch Times, you know, way back in 2008, and that was in uh, Queens, New York. And there was a bizarre series of attacks that were taking place in one of the main Chinatowns out there. So New York, of course, there's a Chinatown in Manhattan everyone knows about, but actually the biggest Chinese community is in Queens. If you head down to the end of the subway line into Flushing, that's where the largest Chinese community is. Really? And a, yeah. and, a, and a very bizarre series of incidents had begun there, which is there were groups of hundreds of people coming out on the streets, holding up banners, you know, with like, I mean, hate slogans, like, you know, calling for, you know, death threats, calling on calling for the killing of different members of the community. They were wow. mainly attacking Falun Gong practitioners, which is, of course, persecuted religious group in China that I think were at Epoch Times are pretty known for, you know, exposing the persecution of. Yeah, uh, they were they were attacking democracy activists and they were attacking house Christians. And so I went in into this whole thing, not really understanding how any of these issues work. And this is 2008. And so there wasn't a lot of reporting at that time on Chinese subversion. Long story short, what I uncovered over the course of several months originally and then into deeper investigations that continued on for several years was that the Chinese consulate had been taking orders from Beijing. And they were approaching the different Tongs or fraternal organizations, which work as kind of the unofficial governing bodies of Chinatown. So in New York, for example, some of the main organizations involved were the Fukian American Association, Shandong Association, Peking Association. Just as a bit of brief background so people know what these are, because we don't have this concept in the West. Tongs are kind of the bottom up form of government of traditional Chinese society. Traditional Chinese society, you didn't really have government below the county level. And so the bottom-up form of government that existed below the county level were like the fraternal organizations, guilds, hometown associations, family name associations, and these kinds of things. When Chinese immigrated abroad, they maintained those bottom-up systems of government, which is why Chinatowns in any part of the world you go to are such insulated, unique communities because they, they're governed by these tongs, essentially. Mm -hmm. so now, when it comes to a lot of them, in addition to having the normal operations, the, uh, you know, the community type of or operations, they also have criminal operations. So, mm -hmm. for example, in New York, the Fukian American Association also runs the Fukqing Gang. The Fukqing Gang is one of the largest organized crime groups in the world. Uh, human traffickers, drug traffickers, extortionists, you name it. And the Chinese regime, understanding the influence that these organizations play within foreign communities, they have a branch of the government called the United Front Work Department, which is dedicated to going abroad, approaching these different organizations and trying to win over their support. Wow. I don't, I don't know if you're getting the background noise here. I apologize if you are. No, that's fine. It's fine. And so, yeah. So, so, China, so you've got the, the CCP, okay. in essence, which... You know, many likened to a mafia-type organization working hand-in-hand -hand with mafia-type organizations uh, within the U.S. Oh, absolutely. Not just in the U.S., every every, every corner of the world. I bet you have them in Australia. And they, they there, would be, there would be in Australia? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, any, any kind. Now, as a matter of fact, actually, I've done a lot of research on what's going on in Australia, too. And actually, I'm, I'm impressed by some of the media coverage there. It seems that the discussion around Chinese, the Chinese regime's subversion 
of political circles, of academic circles, seems to be more at the forefront in Australian news coverage than it is in the United States. Yeah. And so it's, actually, it's good to see that. Yeah. That's true. It, 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 it is starting to break into the mainstream. I mean, uh, there's still, um, uh, you know, there still seems to be a fair bit of reluctance to point out the absolute truth. And there's also a fair bit of reluctance in political or media, political and media elite around uh, people that are going too hard uh, against the Chinese Communist Party or what they would describe as too hard uh, because they keep on reverting back to the economic relationship between China and Australia. Look, I'm going to skip forward to this documentary that you've uh, you've created because it is a cracker. I watched it. I was gripped the entire time by what was being said here because, you know, there was a lot of pieces that I was seeing from report reports across the internet that that really led to the single conclusion that you could come to if you had an open mind about things and that was that this virus had to have come from a lab you know and, and I'm not going to go into too many of those sort of pointers or smoking guns but they were out there and you pulled all of these threads together you detail all the facts that lead you to that conclusion. You have top experts, as I've said, in the field of national security and uh, and also experts in the field of public health and pandemics who uh, uh, pretty much arrive at that same conclusion themselves. Can you just talk, my listeners, don't give it all away because I want them to go and actually watch this documentary but can you just talk my listeners through uh, what you break down in this report, uh, in this documentary you've done, which is called The Origin of the Wuhan Coronavirus? And people can go and watch that at theepochtimes.com. Uh, so uh, can you just talk us through that, Josh? Yeah. So the investigation into the origin of the virus started with a real basic, I'd say basic problem that I think a lot of people have experienced, which is we're hearing every narrative under the sun. You know, we're hearing uh, contradictory information. We're hearing different narratives from different politicians. We're hearing very different ones from other ones. And when we're in an environment where, frankly, our entire lives are being impacted for most of us, many people are on lockdown. Many people are out of work. You know, we need answers, in my opinion, at least. And I think one of the most basic answers is, OK, how did this thing start? Where did it come from? Mm-hmm. Now, the Chinese regime has a few different narratives on it. The main one being that it came from this uh, wet market, this, you know, this uh, seafood market, the Huanan seafood market. And of course, in the investigation, we start there. And I think through the investigation, we mostly debunk that that was the case. We show, I think, pretty significant evidence that it did not come from that marketplace. It, and it was early notably, information, right, that, 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 that uh, patient zero, as they call them, had no connection to that wet market. That's right, isn't it? That's right, yeah. And actually, the, the Chinese regime has even abandoned that narrative. In, in fact, their, their newest yeah. narrative now is they're saying there's no such thing as wet markets in China. <laughs> really? Yeah, that, 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 that's the new it, one, yeah. It is clear, though, that uh, at least, well, actually, I shouldn't say it's clear. It's perhaps possible that some of the problem did emanate from that, that wet market. And, 
Our Prime Minister's uh, here in Australia, Scott Morrison's cracked up a lot about these wet markets and the fact that the WHO uh, has allowed the wet market regimes to resume over there in China and given the thumbs up for that. I mean, it beggars belief that if it did originate in wet markets or if wet markets were part of the issue and the spread of the virus, that you would let that very wet market open, reopen so easily, uh, selling all the menagerie of animals that they sell there for people to consume. But but look, go on, Josh. Yeah. So long story short, you know, we, we think we pretty much we show pretty significant evidence that it did not come from the wet market. And we show some of the odd things the regime did to try to frame the narrative that it did come from that wet market such as making a, a requirement for diagnosis being having contact with the Huanan seafood market. In other words, yeah. you, could have, you could have the entire virus sequence. You could have every symptom of the virus. You could, in every normal regard, have the virus, but they would not diagnose you if you did not have contact with that marketplace. And, you know, of course, the investigation they did into it, where they, they basically went in, they went in and basically wiped out the crime scene. You know, they scrub the whole place clean, which, you know, if you're dealing with a virus like this, which typically does need an, an intermediary species to jump to humans, that was terrible. Because what that meant was, and notably, they didn't test the animals either. All they did was swab the surfaces. And that was terrible because if there was an, if there was an intermediary species, if this actually did come from that wet market, that would mean that the animal that was the intermediary species is still running around. And you're not going to yeah. get rid of this virus until that issue is solved. And so it, even if we say that was possibly the case, they did a horrible injustice by one, yeah. cleaning out the place, you know, destroying the evidence, not doing testing of the animals, not finding out what the intermediary species was. Notably, they did come out later and say the intermediary was the pangolin, but that was actually debunked um, pretty quick, actually. And so the question that emerges, where did it come from? And all evidence which we've collected, does point to this uh, P4 laboratory, this virus research laboratory in Wuhan. The Conservative One Podcast with George Christensen. And, and one of the early uh, outfits that belled the cat on that was a, a Chinese source. It was the South China University of Technology and a couple of researchers from them that uh, produced a report online which which pretty much pointed the finger at that lab. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, well, and there were at least two two different whistleblowers who came out of the lab out of the laboratory, used their real names, and tried telling the world this virus came from our laboratory and it Gee. happened because of, you know, poor security management. Notably yeah. their claims were scrubbed from the Chinese internet, but they I were, bet. you know, retained, notably. Yeah. I bet they've been scrubbed too. Actually, actually just uh, just recently, matter of fact, there were three different volunteers in China who were running a repository of these documents that had been deleted. And they were running it on GitHub, which is, of course, run by Microsoft. Just recently, this past week, Microsoft or GitHub deleted their page and all three of them were arrested in China. Why do these big tech companies do the bidding of China. It's just absolutely disgraceful. And it it leads me, I mean, I want to stick with the detail of the documentary, but just I'll segue for a moment into something that really riled me up. Facebook, you know, once this got a head of steam, I mean, if I saw it once, 
I saw it a thousand times in a single day, your documentary uh, being shared on Facebook. So it was starting to go viral. Within a couple of days of that, sure enough, the, uh, and I, I don't even want to call them this, so I'll put in imaginary inverted commas around the word face checkers, uh, fact checkers, fact checkers. <laughs> the fact checkers at Facebook had deemed the documentary that you did as, as, uh, partly fake news or something like that. What's your response to that claim that's been made? And who are these so-called fact-checkers in Facebook that have made that claim? So this video across all platforms, including our websites, Facebook, YouTube, uh, it had more than 70 million views at the time when Facebook began censoring it. And the initial censor, they, they had two waves of censorship. The first one was, of course, they declared it was fake news. They sent an alert to every single person who shared it, telling them that they you know, shared or posted fake news. And then it turns out that the analysis that they used to declare that it was fake news wasn't even an analysis of the video we produced. It was that. an analysis. Yeah, it was, a, it was an analysis of a New York Post article that by just comparison, they decided was close enough. And the only things that they, that aligned with what we had there was a claim that they said there was no evidence that there were security issues at that P4 laboratory in China. That was the basis of their claim, you know, saying it was fake and taking such drastic means to, you know, send every single person an alert like that, millions of people. And so they declared it was fake because Sense. they said there was no evidence of this. Turns out two days before they published that or before they did that, the Washington Post in the United States had a report come out saying that in 2018, the U.S. Yeah. State Department had, in fact, warned about security issues at that laboratory. And then we also find, and so in other words, they, they used fake news to declare that ours was fake news. They lied yeah. to people to, to declare that we were fake news. And then not only that, but we find that the person who wrote the paper you know, that was used to try to debunk us actually had worked at that laboratory in Wuhan. Oh. And so here you have fake news, fake reporting, combined with you know a conflict of interest, being used to declare that a documentary is fake in its entirety. You know we had hun- we had probably a hundred different data points. One point that they you know only had hypothetical information on and was proven false, and they said it was fake, and then of course sent alerts to millions of people saying we published fake news. Mm-hmm. And so after that, they made them look pretty bad. So they did a second wave, and here's what they did in the second wave. They had another you know, researcher go in. I think it was a Brazilian individual who wrote it. And um, they, they, they found only two points. And of course, they do this long, drawn-out analysis based on these two points. One is, this is what it came down to. One of the individuals we interviewed is a Dr. Judy Mikovits, who is, of course, one of the uh, virus researchers who helped, in, who helped create treatments for the uh, HIV virus. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, she's known for being pretty critical of the, say, corruption within the pharma industry. So she's a bit, you know, controversial, but she had, you know, she had her opinion. She believes that this is a man-made virus. And we quoted her in the documentary saying that. They declared it was fake news based on her statement and opinion mm. in a documentary. Mm. Not, not, in other words, not approaching any of the facts we had, but approaching her opinion. The other point they had was that we noted some of the some of the rumors around there being strains of HIV within the virus. 
and they use one report, one scientific report to make that the claim that we published fake news. Of course, if you watch the documentary, we note that there were reports saying, scientific reports saying that there was, there was in fact these HIV strains. We note that it was contested. And, the, and of course, this is, this is not an absolute you know, finished analysis on this HIV, rumors around the HIV. There are scientific papers that say there, is, there are HIV strains in the virus, and there are scientific papers that say there are not. And Facebook eliminated the, uh, the, you know, the whole perspective on that. And they claimed that by saying, actually, we don't even say there is. We actually, we actually show in the documentary that you know, it's contested. But they declared it was fake based on those two things. And mm-hmm. so, you know, again, probably 100 different data points. And then two things. One is an opinion. One is, you know, of course, uh, contested. And we know it's contested. And they declare again that it's fake because of that. And again, send alerts to millions of people. That's shocking. And the, the lesson for listeners is don't always believe the fact checkers. I have seen this time and again with many different articles that uh, there almost is an element of, uh, I'm just going to say it, leftist bias amongst these fact checking organisations. You just got to go back and have a look who's funding them. And in this case, it certainly wasn't a fact check. It was fake news being spread itself, you know, to try and combat what they were saying was fake news when in fact your documentary was the truth. So um, before I get off that subject, you indicated that one of the fact checkers had links to that uh, to that lab. But why do you think the fact checkers and Facebook go out of their way to try and denigrate claims like this? Is there any ulterior motive or do you think it's just sloppy work? Um, I think part of it is sloppy work. And I, I think a big part of it is that there's a lot of politics tied into it. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of special interest tied into it. It's my opinion. A lot of sucking up to China going on, obviously. Oh yeah. Well, you know, Facebook's known for that. A lot of these social net, social media platforms and big tech companies are known for that. They're trying to get into China. Uh, a lot of them do have yeah. business deals in China, like ABC Corporation. And so yeah, there, there's a lot of dirty money involved, a lot of dirty interests involved, and a lot of say political positioning involved with a lot of these things. Yeah. Let's go back to the claims in your documentary and the facts that you uh, go through in your documentary. Tell us why the lab is the likely cause. What are the facts that you picked up and the people you spoke with? What are they saying that has led you to the belief that that is the most likely cause of this uh, Wuhan coronavirus? Let's look at a few different points on this. So one, we, you know, of course, we mostly debunk this wet market narrative. Notably, that narrative is mostly dead anyways, as it stands now. The Chinese regime has even stopped using it. They're now declaring there's no such thing as these wet markets in China. They're saying it came from the US. That, that's yeah. my understanding. And, and in fact, I've spoken to people with uh, a great deal of contacts in China, and they tell me that the mainstream populace there believe that narrative, that that is what they are being fed by state-controlled media. And in fact, I think the rumor somehow goes that there was uh, uh, some military games, like a sporting event that was there last year. And they believe that the CIA and the US military planted it there in Wuhan last year. That's, That's one of the stories that's going on. There's other claims that are going on that we see from time to time from Communist Party officials there in China and their apparatchiks abroad saying that, um, h- how do we even know that 
this virus originated in China. Um, that's just the first place it was discovered. So a whole heap of claims, and yet apparently we're the ones peddling the conspiracy theories. It's crazy. Yeah. So in China, they call it the USA virus. And yeah, and, the, and they say it was brought to China during the October uh, military games that they had in, uh, in Wuhan. Yeah. That was in October. And yeah, that, that's the narrative they're spreading. They're saying this is an American virus brought to China. And they're claiming, of course, that it was an American bioweapon. You know, and, and, and this is the real irony of this. You can't, you can't even discuss these things without being called a conspiracy theorist. When we, if we look at the facts, the narrative that they fed to us was a lie. We know it yeah. was a lie. We know it did not come from this wet market now. We know that the you know, intermediary species they told us was a lie. It's been you know, scientifically debunked. And so where did this thing come from and what was the intermediary species? And in their own propaganda, they're saying this is an American bioweapon and you're not allowed to contest it. And I think there's a, a major disservice being done to the world right now that not only have we been lied to about something that is impacting every single one of us, not only are researchers being you know, not allowed to go into China to try to figure out where this thing came from and to try to get the data we need to deal with this crisis, not only did they you know, conceal it, lie to us, did they allow, of course, travel outside of China when they banned internal travel inside China, which, you know, of course, helped this virus spread abroad and become a global pandemic. They're they not let being 5 million people out of Wuhan. Isn't that yeah, right? Five, they let 5 million people. And, and, and they'd shut down their internal borders to, to people coming out of Wuhan that wanted to go to, say, to Beijing. That was not allowed. You know, that, that is the most is one of the most curious aspects of this, why you would restrict the spread of a virus you obviously knew to be dangerous from the rest of your country, but at the same time, here's a free ticket, get out of the country and go and spread it everywhere else. That's how it seems to have been. If If they are found to have done that and have willingly done that, uh, it's been a lot of speculation that that's in breach of international health regulations. Do you think that there is then a case to be made for some form of reparations or liability that falls on behalf of China? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and I think there, are, I think the Chinese regime is very, very afraid that, that is going to happen. They're pushing very hard against any inquiries into yeah. you know because because here's the thing. If these investigations are able to go through, and of course it's proven that it did in fact come from China, then whether or not it came from the laboratory, whether or not, you know, regardless of where it came from, it came from China, the Chinese regime knew about it, they lied about it, and so on. Mm. As soon as there are international investigations that can verify all the different, you know, and basically debunk all the things they've been saying and prove for a fact, you know, on, through international investigation providing evidence, that this thing did come from China, the, China, the Chinese regime covered it up, which helped it spread abroad. Lawsuits from every corner of the world are going to hit yeah. the Chinese regime, and they know that. And I think that your president, uh, Donald Trump, will probably be the, the main one driving it, and they're probably terrified about that prospect. There is a religious war going on in this country. It is a cultural war. Conservative wine. So just going back to the uh, the lab conclusion that uh, you've come to, that I've come to, that so many people have come to, one of the big glaring, I guess, proof points in this is that as soon as this pandemic got underway, that the uh, the Chinese Communist Party 
actually uh, sent out directives around safety and handling of viruses within its government-run labs. Uh, they also booted out, uh, I'm pretty sure they booted out the director of this lab and they put in, uh, surprise, surprise, the Chinese military's senior mm. bio-warfare expert as the new director of this, uh, of this particular lab. That is just absolutely and utterly bizarre if that's your first reaction to this pandemic and yet it's supposed to have nothing to do with that lab. What do you make of that? Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's just a small piece of, a small picture of all the evidence there is around it. Now, even when this thing was first starting to brew in China, they had internal directives at that laboratory talking, you know, giving alerts to, you know, don't talk to media, don't even talk to state media about it, that there's something going on. There were, of course, uh, as I mentioned, different whistleblowers who actually came out of the laboratory using their real names and told the world this virus came from our laboratory. Who, who were they, Josh? Uh, I can't remember the names off the top of my head. can't remember the names off the top of my head. There were, two, there were at least two who came out of the lab itself, and there was a third one outside the lab who also came forward. Mm. And, of course, you know, the world has been pretty much silent on that. You can still find their claims, actually. They, 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 you know, of course, this is well known inside China. It really made some waves in China. And then you noted the that when Times reported on that. Oh yeah, yeah, we've reported on it, and you know, of course, and we we included it in the documentary as well. Yeah. And then you noted that Xi Jinping came out and made this declaration when he was talking about the virus in context of the virus, notably, saying that lab biosecurity needs to become a national security issue. And the context and timing around that was a report had come out, you know, of course, circulating in China again that the real patient zero was actually an intern at that laboratory, a young woman. And actually, there are a lot of Western media now that have been uh, retelling the story now as well, saying that their sources, you know, of course, mainstream media, saying their sources say this is the case. This young, this young woman was an intern at this laboratory. There were reports of mishandling of bats. Cross-infection took place. She caught this you know, new virus, passed it to her boyfriend, and her boyfriend and her uh, spread it around, you know, around town. No one knows what happened to this young girl when the, uh, when the laboratory was confronted about it. They said she never worked here. They had information about her on their website. And what do they do? They hastily and sloppily remove her from, from the website. But they do it yeah. so sloppily that they maintain, they maintain her name. They maintain information on, you know, on the website of her. And so, you know, real sloppy, very quick, you know, attempted erase, you know, getting rid of evidence. And they never talked about it. And then right when that happened, Xi Jinping comes out and says lab biosafety needs to become a national security issue. Mm-hmm. So that that leads to a bit of conclusion if the um, Xi Jinping is coming out with those sort of statements that this was some accident rather than a deliberate uh, thing. What's your view on it? Uh, because there's some people out there, and I'm not 100% sure I'm with the argument that this was deliberate. I'm more with the argument that this was an accident that's caused by sloppy security and handling uh, protocols uh, within that government-run lab. However, uh, I do give this caveat. I mean, we don't know the full facts. And secondly, I'm not sure that the type of research that's going on in that lab is the kind of research we want going on anyway, even if this was an accidental release. So what's the conclusions that you've come to and why? 
In the documentary, we don't draw a hard conclusion on natural, man-made, or intentional or unintentional. We just we just show evidence, which actually could you know give some credit to all those claims. Um, I think people you know take away from it what they will. My personal interpretation: I think it was a natural virus that they had in the laboratory that got out, mm. and I believe it was uh, unintentional, mainly because this thing devastated is devastating the Chinese regime to such an extent. Yeah. Although I do, I do think they allowed it to spread internationally intentionally. Yeah. And now with uh, that, that said, we of course do talk about some of the artificial viruses they were creating there. They, uh, for example, these chimeric viruses, research they were doing, increasing the virility of viruses. In other words, making them even more dangerous. They were doing research yep. there that is illegal in many parts of the world, including in the yep. United States, in fact, because of the danger to prevent or present to humankind. So yeah, I fully agree with you that this is, you know, concerning what they were doing. Uh, if if it was intentional, we do note something interesting at the towards the end of the documentary, which is ties within mm. the people who run this place to Jiang Zemin, who is two leaders ago. There's Jiang Zemin, Hu Jintao, Xi Jinping, mm-hmm. and who, of course, has had this long-running power struggle with Xi. And so there's, you know, two rival political factions in China. Xi doesn't actually control all of China. And notably, that lab had a lot of ties to the Jiang faction. And so if it was intentional, it was very likely tied to this internal power struggle. Yeah, but wow. again, but again, I think it was unintentional. But, you know, but again, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to believe either at this point, to be honest. You know? yeah. yeah. So the World Health Organization's come under criticism for its... Uh, complete and utter mishandling of this entire event. And again, they're another organization that just uh, seems to suck up to China and not not uh, not offer any sort of critical appraisal of what they've done or haven't done. How liable is the World Health Organization in all of this mess? The World Health Organization, in my opinion, has blood on its hands because they have been parroting everything the Chinese Communist Party says without mm-hmm. proper verification. And because, you know, they're, they're supposed to be an independent international organization that does its own research, not just taking what a regime says at face value, and especially when that regime has been shown over and over and over again to be telling lies. Yeah. And of course, because na- different nations trusted the WHO and took their advice, believing, for example, that there was no risk of human-to-human transmission, they allowed people to travel into their countries from, you know, China, from Wuhan, you know, believing that, you know, allowing this was being open and, you know, politically correct or whatever you want to call it. And of course, then they had the virus come to their countries and many, many people died, such as Italy, such as even Iran. Mm. And of course, in Italy, w- yeah. Italy where one of the mayors run, a, a, I think it was a hug a Chinese person day in the middle of their mall. Uh, you know, the political correctness that was just... Uh, alive and kicking throughout this entire thing beggars belief and you wonder why there was a problem in italy yeah and you know one of the points we make at epoch time you cannot confuse the chinese communist party with the chinese people the chinese people are the biggest they're the biggest biggest victims yep absolutely And, and, and in fact a lot of the you know i mentioned before i exposed the united front the the i know chinese people people i talk to in chinatown they are afraid to speak out because they're afraid the regime is going to come after them or their families. I had, I, had a per, I had a woman tell me, she was from Taiwan. She said she was told that they could make her disappear. This is on American soil. 
I know in Australia, you have the same thing at universities. We we certainly do. Uh, We have a very big problem in Australia with uh, the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, unbelievably, just not so long ago, uh, the ambassador for the Chinese Communist Party, ambassador for the People's Republic of China, crashed, gate crashed a press conference that our health minister was giving. I mean, uh, that beggars belief that you'd have that kind of behaviour going on. But they, they do that. There's the whole, uh, you know, the, uh, spying on, on, on Chinese students. I've heard about officials that walk onto campuses and go into meetings and tell young people there that they'll be checking on them, they'll be looking at them. We had an incident, I think it was Western Australia actually, uh, where a car that was decked out like a Chinese police car was seen driving around with with people obviously filming demonstrations that were going on against the Chinese Communist Party regime. Imagine that, uh, a car decked out like a Chinese police car driving around and surveilling people in a in a foreign nation. I mean, it's just the 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 kind of behaviour that we see from the CCP in other jurisdictions is just absolutely horrendous an attack on national sovereignty. I want to yeah, go to this now they're, now, they're, now they're calling Australia gum on their shoe, right? Yeah. Latest one, yeah. Well, the gum's biting back a bit um, because <laughs> we're one of the, the people that are demanding that, uh, that there be a proper investigation into all of this. But let's go to the CCP. I am just so surprised that, that this regime still has its defenders today and the easy thing for people to do uh, is to say, oh, well, the U.S. is not much better. The U.S. has done this. The U.S. has done that. You know, Joshua Phillip, the kind of atrocities that the Chinese Communist Party has committed against its very own people and others as well. Tell us some of the stuff that you have found in your many years of reporting uh, that the Chinese Communist Party has engaged in that is just beyond the pale. I'm talking about things that are human rights atrocities, crimes against humanity, and we all know that they've engaged in it. What are some of those things that you know of? Well, we, I think without even going into the deeper history of the Chinese Communist Party, which notably under Mao, they killed between 50 million and 70 million Chinese people destroyed the culture, you know, wiped, wiped out the traditional Chinese culture, 5,000 years of civilization, uh, you know, threw monks in prison, put them on the front lines of the Korean War, you know, forced, uh, I mean, I, it can go on and on. Let's talk about what they do right now. 70 million to 100 million people who practice Falun Gong, truthfulness, compassion, tolerance, basically like Chinese yoga, trying to be good people. They are tortured, arrested, killed, put into forced labor, um, we found out they're using them as living sources for organ transplants. This has mm. been verified. In fact, there was a tribunal in the UK that verified that this is taking place. Epoch Times, we actually broke the story on it. The original person who came out was hard to believe, and it was, it was a shocking case. It was a woman who said that her husband was a medical doctor, and he was having nightmares, you know, waking up every night in cold sweats, you know, screaming, these types of things. And one day he confessed to her. He said that his job in China was to remove corneas from the eyes of children while they were still alive because they or their families practiced Falun Gong. As we speak right now, 
They have slave camps of Muslim Uyghurs. There are close to 100 million Christians in China who are you know, stamped down, churches torn down, crosses torn down. Tibet is like a you know, lockdown as well. I mean, some of the high-tech security systems they have there are horrifying. The Chinese regime has no regard for human life. It is a regime that brutally, brutally persecutes its own people and then goes around trying to tell the world that there would be no new China without the Chinese Communist Party, that the modernization of China is, the, is you know, caused by the Chinese regime. And let's be clear what actually happened. The Chinese regime was the one holding the heads of the Chinese people underwater. And when it let them up, it said, you should thank me for saving you. That, that's essentially what they did. The entire world modernized, China modernized to an extent, but they still have this repressive regime that has mm. you know, continued to abuse them, continued to kill them. And every part of the world still monitors them. They have types of surveillance that would make George Orwell turn over in his grave. They have the social credit system, which gives every single, per- it monitors every part of your life. Who are your friends? What do you look at online? What do you do in your free time? Everything. What do you buy at the store? So on. And it gives you a citizen score that determines your freedom or oppression in that society. Are you friends with someone who believes in superstition, quote unquote, which means you believe in religion? Well, that's going to lower your score. Are you, do you have a family member who, you know, believes in democracy? Well, that's going to lower your score. And so you have an incentive to, you know, extend the regime's persecution to those around you. You have an incentive for this. They have a gamified program now to report your neighbors, to report in other people, where you get points for reporting people to the authorities. And if you get a certain number of points, you get you get different prizes. They have the um, different forms of internet censorship. You know the golden or sorry the uh, the Great Firewall. They have networks of cameras. They called it the Skynet system. They they have you know AI systems. They have secret police. They have the Fifty Cent Army, which is a group of internet commentators, internet trolls who go on chat rooms and leave comments, you know, criticizing people or defending Chinese Communist Party narratives operating not just in China but in every part of the world. They have the United Front Department, one of its sister departments, the Overseas Chinese Affairs Office, has databases on every single overseas Chinese. And notably, they even regard second and third generation Chinese as part of their system. They, you know, of course, threaten students, they threaten their families. Many of my coworkers have had death threats, their families have been threatened. Anyone who tries to speak out about the Chinese regime is going to be attacked and they're going to attempt to defame you. This is a brutal, brutal regime that in every regard represents the worst of totalitarianism that the world has ever known. And somehow it's not being called out because of financial interests, because of business interests, because of political interests. And frankly, I think history is going to remember those who spoke out against it and those who sided with it. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I could talk with you for so much longer, but I'm, I'm probably going to have to bring the interview to a conclusion and I'll, I'll end by asking you this question. If you were president for a day, I normally ask my guests here in Australia if you were prime minister for the day, but you're US, so if you were president for a day, what is the one thing that you would do, Joshua Phillip? The one thing? I would, I would, uh, I would pull out all business from China and I would openly expose every single human rights abuse it carries out. The Chinese regime, more than anything, is afraid that its abuses will see the light of day. This is why they censor the internet. 
This is why they censor their own citizens. They're afraid of the truth because they cannot stand the light of day. Yeah, well, well said. And, um, you know, here's hoping that a U.S. president will uh, will do that at some stage. Uh, and here's hoping for the day that the, uh, the blight that is the Chinese Communist Party is removed uh, from the Chinese people so they're no longer under that oppressive regime, which i got to say I liken to... Uh, a modern version of either Stalin's Russia or uh, Hitler's Nazi Germany. It is a shocking regime which has not only caused grief to its people but has now caused grief to the rest of the world with this pandemic. Thank you very much for your time, Joshua Phillip. Uh, more power to you and your reporting. I encourage people to go to theepochtimes.com, that is theepochtimes.com, and to look at your great documentary, The Origins of the Coronavirus. Thanks very much again for your time. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. We will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. You've been listening to The Conservative One Podcast with George Christensen.